This is the Roaring Elephant Podcast, and here I am, not just with my co-host, but with my co-host and a special guest on our seven-year anniversary. Hello, Jon. Hello, seven-year-old Dave. Mm, I'm a little <laughs> older than that, as are you. I think but it sounds we will fine. move We're seven in great swiftly on from that. <laughs> Uh, I wonder if people can guess who our guest is. Well, apart from reading the title, of course. Yeah, or if you've been listening for any length of time. Well, at least a year. Uh, well, yeah, at least a year. <laughs> but it, maybe, maybe you've heard us talk about it before. But uh, this is an anniversary episode, and therefore, by law, <laughs> that means uh, we need to invite our good, good friend... And a wonderful individual, uh, John Murtick from the Linux Foundation, who so far every single year has uh, joined us and celebrated the the anniversary of the Roaring Elephant podcast. And this year is no different. So we have uh, a lot of fun stuff from from John. Uh, In this episode, we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, just some some of the things that he's involved in in the Linux Foundation, some of the updates that are happening, a little bit around the the world of security that has has changed quite drastically, Mm -hmm. and also a little bit about the energy industry, which is kind of cool and continues to be very interesting and very relevant given uh, the macroeconomic climate right now. Yeah, I mean, let's, uh, let's go to it. Let's do it. So, welcome, John Murtick. As is tradition with our uh, our annual anniversary podcast episode, you have come back and graced us with your presence. Um, welcome back to the Roaring Elephant Podcast. Well, thank you. Apparently, you didn't get too many, um, you know, bad letters back to you saying we got to get this John guy off of here. So, um, I, I guess that's that that's pretty good that I I made it yet another year. But no, in all seriousness, thank you. It's uh, it's fun to be with y'all. It's fun to have this conversation, and uh, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely an, an exciting time to be in open source. Absolutely. Does does it does it ever get less exciting? Not really. I mean, I, I mean, <laughs> here's the thing, like. I, I mean, I've been doing this for over 20 years now in mm-hmm. one form or another, either like contributing to projects that was, you know, community manager, you know, all sorts of different things. And, you know, people often ask um, me, like, what is the best and the worst parts of open source? And often I answer it with the same thing is people. And yeah, it, yeah. it's a little bit of a kind of a crazy answer, but I, I feel like some of the people that I meet are some of the most amazing, smart um, thoughtful, just really, really cool people you can possibly work with and just amazing technologists in their own right. Um, and that's sort of what ends up driving me each day as I take part in it. Um, on the flip side, you know, there's conflict, there's, you know, all sorts of stuff that happens in these communities. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and sadly, uh, people are the ones that cause the problems because the machines are all fairly deterministic. <laughs> so far. So far, so far, um, yeah. AI is working on it, but it's still deterministic. Um, and so those end up being the challenge. And even those, those are those are interesting things to work through because I just I, I I have a lot of appreciation where people are coming from. I, I don't I don't generally think people are coming from a bad place. I yeah. I think sometimes there's always a challenge of just connecting the dots and and, and helping articulate it. But 
Um, I, I just, it, it, you know, it's just fun. Like it's, it's the reason I, I, I still stay in this industry is all these people that I've worked with in the past, new students that are coming into the space that are just, I can look back and imagine myself at their age, which mm-hmm. um, was quite a while ago, one, but, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, two, it's just, it's just really valuable. Um, and, you know, then just also, just like I said, I get to work with like, you know, people putting together the movies. I get to work together with, you know, people have been in technology spaces, you know, for decades in their whole careers. I, you know, I get to work with PhDs. I get to work with, you know, people leading, um, you know, social changes and things like that out there. So it's, it's just it's just really, really fascinating. And it's, um, it's a little bit humbling to be able to go in there and help provide context on how to drive things as an open source community and how to drive these things forward. And, um, you know, it's just fun to be able to add value to them. Fantastic. I mean, it's the it's the eighth anniversary of the the Roaring Elephant podcast. It's the uh, the the seventh seventh year that you've been at the Linux Foundation. Yeah. Um, you're currently uh, director of program management at the Linux Foundation. Like, what what does that actually entail? Like, what what are the uh, what are the variety of things that you end up uh, being involved in from a day to day basis? I work a ton with our project communities and um, organizations that are new and sometimes also have been around open source for a while and really just help them be more successful with open source. I mean, this mm-hmm. is, you know, the Linux Foundation is sort of this unique, um, you know, bits of infrastructure, you know, with our LFX platform um, and, and some sort of the legal infrastructure we've built up to be able to host um, large scale collaborative vendor neutral projects. But then it's just also the expertise of people that have just done this before and done it in a lot of different domains and have, have seen a lot. I don't ever say see any everything because mm-hmm. I say that and then I see something I've not seen before. Um, <laughs> and, and, and I think that's true for all of us. But, you know, a lot of where I'm focusing on is I'm in there with project maintainers that are trying to figure out how do we, you know, scale up our projects. We're, we're in a maintainer pinch. How do we get new maintainers in? Um, you know, how do we help prioritize, you know, some of the work that's happening? I'm working with companies that are for the first time putting, which which is kind of a funny thing for us to all say, but there's a huge amount of large multinational companies that are just starting on their open source journeys mm-hmm. and helping work with them on getting their first contributions in. And what does that look like? And what are the considerations that they need to have? And, you know, some of them are bringing a couple lines of code. Some of them are bringing millions of lines of code. And, you know, what does that all look like? Um, and just helping some of these communities just sort of figure out how to how to move forward and then just getting the resources they need to be, you know, successful. So it's it's a lot of different hats. Um, it's a lot of different fun problems and challenges and, and just, you know, places to, um, you know, enjoy working with really smart people. Like I said, I mean, that's that's sort of the blessing of of this, you know, sort of job. And you know, in program management, we're right in the middle of it because these communities look to us to say, what do we do here? Like, we're, we're, how do we, how do we solve this problem? Like, what do we do? Because some of them are new to open source, but some of them are just completely, or have been doing it for a while and they've ran into, Mm -hmm. like, we just don't know how we get past this. And, you know, we're fortunate enough to have some of that expertise to help. Fantastic. Hey, what's the, yeah, it's been a been a year since we we last chatted, and we're going to be talking about some of the specific projects um, that you've been uh, involved in. But like, 
what's been up what's been happening over the last year what's the, what are the the big kind of moves and changes in in the stuff that you've been sort of primarily involved in um you know i think across the board with a lot of the projects that i'm working in this is this is not new to anything open source um mm. is security has just kind of hit right into the forefront of everything we've done yeah it, it helps here in the united states there's been a huge push around supply chain security mm. you know, stuff, a, a number of directives and things coming from the white house that yeah. kind of came out of some of the log for j stuff which was after yeah. the anniversary show last year so we're going to have to talk <laughs> yeah, about that yeah um but uh but I, I think what we've seen as a spotlight is there is and, and the sad thing is, is this is something that's still been happening for a while. I mean, this was the same thing from OpenSSL, you know, eight, yeah. 10 years ago, where there was a huge a piece of code. Everybody depended on it. Yep. Nobody was putting investment into it. And we're running into that same problem, you know, this many years later. You know, we've, we've seen in a lot of places this has got a tremendous amount better. Um, but it's still a prevalent issue out there. And, you know, fortunately, we have the Open Source Security Foundation, which has really kicked into gear there and is not only just driving best practices, but at the same time is raising funding that is solely meant to go out there and help these projects and get them the infrastructure you can, they need. And you can look, they've done a number of grants. I think they've done um, some of the Python um, Software Foundation, Rust, a few other ones as well mm -hmm. to help on the supply chain security and just the overall security um, front as well. So I think that has just been a forefront of everything that I have touched. It's mm. it's a little bit interesting because as you get into, a lot of the communities I work with are very vertically focused. So they'll come back and tell me, oh, well, our projects, aren't web apps so we don't have any security issues like they're all behind the <laughs> firewall they're completely fine and yeah. the point that i kind of come back with is okay well when you get your piece of open source where do you get it from you know if you get it and build it right from github probably okay but maybe you get a pre-built package because you know you're feeling lazy that day or you just don't have the compiler infrastructure to get it going and so you get it from someone and you go install it and as it turns out somebody had tampered um this is it sort of came through now what now maybe they put a ransomware in there you know maybe they put in some sort of backdoor that's sending all of your data somewhere um and 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 i think sonatype didn't they do like a a, a survey and they found like the like it was like 650 percent up you know in um, supply chain attacks over the last couple of years so yeah it's 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 sort of a huge thing and we're starting to see industries that may I don't want to say they didn't pay attention to it, security, but they they probably didn't think at it of having the same depth that we've been used to with folks that have had web facing services, uh, internet facing yeah. services. They're starting to take it a lot more seriously, and they're starting to build a lot of those practices. And, and I and I work with some of them. I've had some of them come to me, and you know we're we're helping work on you know potential solutions and things like that. So. Yeah, security is a thing. Who would have, who would have thunk that? <laughs> I mean, I always I think the, one of the first and most widespread uh, issues of this, I think, was even before the one that you mentioned was um, GPG, wasn't it? GNU Privacy yeah. Guard, even like back in the day, where you know one person maintaining all of a sudden, like yeah, not gonna not gonna do this anymore. Can't can't feed my family. You know, need to go and mm -hmm. do something else full time. It's it sort of I think 
probably about two years ago, I started hearing um, sort of software supply chain as as being a term that people were starting to throw around, but mm-hmm. no one really. It was it was something that was that was still very academic in nature, I think, mm-hmm. and it really took um, log, the log for J um, debacle really to kind of bring that front and center to people's minds. As you say, like the White House has got behind a whole bunch of reforms. The Open SSF, I think, uh, you know, we've had a couple of episodes chatting with some folks from there um, earlier on in either this year or late last year. And, you know, it has made uh, a pretty significant kind of impact in in the way that things are going. But it's also it's also really interesting that a lot of people are still at the very early stages of their level of understanding of what this really means, like what the what the actual impact will be for them going forward. And I think that's the piece that's still like not really that well understood in the in the, the widespread community. Yeah, no, I think that I think that's really fair, and and it's changing a little bit of the strategy of how people look at sort of their external dependencies. Mm. Where many times in the past it was sort of looked at as okay, I have this dependency, it solves a problem, great, mm. let it do its thing, and no one had really paid a lot of attention. I mean, okay, there are people probably have, but there wasn't quite as mainstream wide uh, attention paid to where the source of that was coming from. And hey, that package might depend upon something else that depends upon something else. And then it all roots itself back. I mean, I think the Log4J was a really interesting example about that, where a lot of these projects are going through, and even commercial applications, you know, webs, you know, web applications, mm-hmm. things like that were going through their stack. And many of them probably didn't even realize it. Like it was so yeah. far buried down in there, um, or was just kind of a minor lease, or it was just something they just took advantage of and didn't realize it was there. Um, it's it, that's the things I think you're exactly right. It's sort of waking people up to you need to know where your software comes from. You need to know what all comes with it, what its origins are, um, how it was built. You know, is the build you know matching the reproducibility of what the main project was? Um, and and even then coming back even to the package managers of how can they put a degree of security on there? I mean, we've seen this in the in the NPM ecosystem from time to time mm. where, you know, somebody goofs up a package either, you know, intentionally or what have you. Yeah, and yeah. it just screws up all sorts of things for a while until it gets remedied. And, you know, I think I think that sort of, you know, mirage of maze there is has sort of been looked at as it just kind of works, but um, it's maybe a little bit of a mystery how it fully works to we got to pay attention to this and we need to put controls in place we need to put you know things in place that these can be trusted um because no longer you know back in the day i think companies used to like build their own internal you know repositories and catalogs of of some of these and and pull from that and that's not just really sustainable either because then it's just putting all the onus on you know the the company's it team to figure all this out and they don't have the time to vet all of this and they, they may not have all the tools to vet it all properly so yeah. it's it's best to try to get all of that upstream in the in the package communities and you know and within those various you know projects. Um, the challenge is it's a lot of work and it's kind of not fun work. It's kind of boring work, but it's really essential work um, to get it right because we have a society now depend on this. Yeah, 
we I think we had a, a an episode a while back where we were talking about I think the particular example was Google, uh, but I know it's pretty commonplace across you know a lot of the 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 big um, hyperscalers and you know large scale open source consumers like uh, Facebook and Apple and um, mm -hmm. Netflix and others where like they like it or not they have the kind of engineering um sort of staff and mindset that they they do exactly as you said like they spin up all of their own internal mirrors if you like and internal copies of all of this kind of stuff and you know they they themselves have a whole bunch of kind of integration testing that they run but it also means that any innovation and contribution and collaboration back to the open source communities ends up getting not intentionally stifled but like yeah that's just the nature of it like they they start spinning up a whole kind of load of parallel code and despite most of most of them have objectives to make sure that those forks are as minimal as possible and they are contributing back and it's not done out of you know out of malice or anything like that it's just that's the nature of their business and like okay that that works to a certain extent for them mm. but it's thoroughly unsustainable for the majority of organizations like it's just impossible for most organizations to even consider something like that and i would even argue at some point it's going to be unsustainable for them too because it's mm. it's 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 hard work it's only going to get more complex um you know yeah. the demands inside the business are all going to grow i mean you know yes you can hire and you can build that out but you're really taking on a heavy lifting amount of work that you're 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 still kind of looking like as you pull peel back the layers of the onion, it gets even sort of yeah. worse. So like maybe you have an ability to do some of the patches and things like this, but then now as newer versions are coming in, now you're having to look at dependencies past then. You know, it just it just gets into an area where you just do not have the expertise. Um, or the time or the energy to just to keep up with it. I mean, it's just it's just too big of a problem. And yeah. and I think that's the shift that's starting to happen. Like we've we've seen this in a lot of other technology areas where the value starts to move its way up the stack. You know, there used to be a lot of the, you know, there was such a value at the operating system layer. Then we saw, you know, Linux and some of the BSDs come in there and kind of just blow that out of the water. Um, you know, you, there was a time where there was a lot of, you know, competition that was happening in the web browser, um, you know, rendering area. Now everyone's just using, you know, WebKit and, and Chromium and calling it a win. Um, you know, we saw it on the cloud side where, you know, everyone had sort of their own hyperscaler, their own containerization, their own this, that, and other. Now it's all standardized. Now it's everyone's building off mm. of the same stuff because they just realize the value keeps going up. and. And and we, and because we just keep seeing this as a common pattern, it's, it's not a surprise that security is is going to be the same thing because there's just all sorts of pockets of interesting expertise as people have been talking about it, but but really sort of the level of expertise to stay ahead of cyber attacks and things like that are going to come from my I mean I hate to say this like a small group of people that are really just mm -hmm. that qualified and that in depth. To do that and and what better of a way to have that collaboration happening out there and happening in an open environment um where where more people can benefit from it more people can you know put into it because you know this is a, it's the same way with a lot of open source projects we always say they can kind of like hit like a glass ceiling at some point if it's mm -hmm. a company endeavor 
And the way you get past that is you get into a vendor neutral endeavor when you recognize the effort is just bigger than your own one company. Like it's just a bigger thing than just you. Security is that. I mean, it's been it for a long time, but I think right now, especially, it's bigger than that. And and I think this is, you know, Google's taken the lead a lot in open source security over the years. And this is why one of the big one of the parts of the big reasons, you know, they've, you know, driven and being a part of OpenSSF is they see it's bigger than just them. And all of these other major corporations see it the same way. And the only way you really solve this is by having a collective group effort that's going after this from a best practices, but also infrastructure and funding for projects so they can do things um, the right way. Yeah. Yeah. So basically kind of decentralizing the responsibility for security to make it scalable. Um, yeah, I mean, I would say that, and it's just also just bringing the different expertises that are seeing things different ways, because there's just there's there's just been different ways people have approached it over time. And if you get these, I mean, everywhere where I've seen where you bring experts in the room that might have different ways of approaching things, you get a really cool outcome every single time. Like you get them all excited and they want to build something collectively together. So yeah, it's a little bit of it's one part decentralization, but I would say the other part is is that you're able to build off of the collaborative knowledge and expertise and wisdom of others. Like you're able to take that. It almost becomes like an extension of your, you know, um, R&D and engineering efforts is this large open source community that you can tap into and you can leverage and you can work with and you can contribute to. Uh, there's an immense value, and that's 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 I think security saw that, and that's why we're seeing that coming together. And it's and that's also why all the industry verticals I work with are the same way. They they recognize some of the problems we're solving are bigger than our own. Let's all get together as a group and solve these. Yeah, yeah. So what what else? What else have you uh, been been beavering away at this past year? Oh, well, you know, I work in, I, I have the fortune of working in a few cool um, project communities. Um, mm -hmm. One of the communities I work with is in the LF Energy um, Foundation, which is working, um, you know, in the energy space, particularly um, around climate change, um, green technologies, um, you know, you know, carbon emissions, things of that nature. Mm. Um, that project continues to grow. One of the things that I've been spending a lot of time in the last year is they are building up a standards focus which is complementing a lot of the work that they're doing in open source. And it's a little bit interesting because people will often look at saying, okay, well, standards, like, isn't that kind of like the, you know, antagonist to open source? And <laughs> I think the reality is, is they really pair very nicely with one another. I mean, you see the one pattern where standards come together and drive, you know, reference implementations and things like that. But we've also, you know, seen standards as a way to help, you know, provide natural extensions um, and ways to help cultivate potential open source. So mm. uh, one project we're working with is um, the Carbon Data Specifications Consortium, which is working basically in the area of carbon accounting and helping pull together, you know, definitions, um, helping pull together, um, you know, thought leadership, best practices, um, you know, a number of those areas that's helping advance sort of a very new space, but bringing the people together to have this happen with the end goal that this can come out and build, you know, um, you know, uh, internationally recognized standards um, coming out of it. So it still sort of puts it as head, but it's also gives an opportunity to connect back to the open source projects that are gonna be relevant to this effort as well. So 
Um, so that's been a pretty huge thing within the energy realm, uh, released in the NLF Energy Foundation this year. Yeah. And have you really, have you seen a lot of um, changes happen with the sort of the focus that's coming around uh, energy prices just, you know, going crazy globally with uh, everything that's going on? Has that driven like more attention and more people um, to the to this project, or you know, how has it has it shifted the project direction at all, or how's that changed? It has got a lot of attention to this project. Mm. We are seeing, uh, you know, especially you know some of the challenges that are ran over in Eastern Europe right now, uh, mm. and along with I think just generally, um, you know, some of the energy you know challenges that we're we're running to a society. It's bringing a ton of effort. Like we've seen just from a membership side, you know, we've over doubled the number of members here um, in the last year. Uh, you know, we're, and we're starting to see, you know, folks like, you know, the Googles and the Microsofts engage very heavily as they're seeing this as a way for like, you know, uh, you know, green, how their sort of solutions sort of play into this. Um, you know, we're continuing to see large power systems operators, especially those in Europe like Oleander and RTE, that mm. are continuing to open source more and more pieces that they have that are part of their infrastructures um, to help gain and drive better alignment, um, you know, across some of the, the different players in there. And we even see a company like uh, Shell, which mm. uh, is, you know, one might think of, you know, why are we having sort of a natural, you know, fossil fuel sort of company coming into here? But um, the reality is, is they're driving an amazing amount of technology that is really going to be critical to this grid of the future. And so they want to help bring it in here to help, you know, better some of those interconnects across the board. So I, I think a lot of what we have seen in our society over the last year has hugely influenced and driven people to be starting to look at LF Energy and saying, hey, can we drive some of the work we're trying to do here? Um, this is where we want to be paying attention. This is where we want to be putting investment and um you know it's an energy it's an industry that doesn't move very quickly so mm. it can be always a little bit of a challenge um but we're really seeing in the last year a lot of societal stuff but i think also just the natural inertia and flow is starting to come together and there's a ton of activity and a ton of excitement happening yeah i mean the that's the the thing is that when you have a particular situation where um, something like the the current macro kind of like climate that's changed things pretty significantly for a lot of individuals. All of a sudden, it gets organisations to question, you know, exactly what they're doing, how they're doing it, and in many cases, like we we obviously can't continue down the path that they were maybe quite happily progressing down for some period of time. But actually, now something's significantly shifted. And we need to change, you know, we need to change what we're doing. We need to change direction. We need to change our strategy. And and I think open source has long been one of the things that people often gravitate to when they're considering a major change that they maybe wouldn't have done, you know, previously when everything was all fine and happy and no reason to change, you know, why change? Um, and as you say, like the energy industry has is one of those industries that that is you know pretty well known as being fairly slow to move and fairly slow to change 
But that being said, it's also an industry that is going through a, a drastic overhaul as as the world makes a, a shift towards you know more sustainable energy consumption and um, and more sustainable energy production as well. And yeah. I think the, the the variety of projects is the thing that really kind of blows my mind around uh, LF Energy. It's just there's a huge number of projects that are sort of um, um, spun up here, and it just sort of yeah, it just I'd love to I'd love to spend probably a little bit more time on on a few of them. But it just I'm amazed at the the range of projects that we've got the the kind of the scale that that this pro that the the LF Energy Group is really kind of thinking about this. It's very, very cool. And it's really, I think, the community that's coming together and they're seeing the opportunity. And and that's that's what starts to spark this. I mean, we pro you know, the goal with all of our foundations and just the LF as a whole is we provide a home. You know, if mm. you're wanting to do this collaboration at scale, this is where you can do it. We have the infrastructure, we have the people, um, we have the expertise to to help make these happen and you know the energy industry i think is starting to come along and, and and sort of see that opportunity i mean it's been one that's very rooted in standards for a long time but they're starting to see open source as a way to drive collaboration and bring technologies um, faster and yeah you can see it's it's all different parts of the grid i mean it's everything from grid automation um, mm. you know it's everything from doing like weather prediction you know technologies to say okay if depending upon the weather and the time of day and the season and all these sorts of things like can we help predict what the grid is going to do and what the grid demands are because electricity has this funny property is once you create it you either use it right away or it's gone you know there's <laughs> no like saving it up there's no whatever it's you know use it or lose it and you usually have like an instant to do that mm. um and so so much of just many of these projects are just touching that area you know eb charging um with everest there's yeah. a huge focus in that area um automated demand response um you know with open leader um and you know uh, power meters and, and all those sort of things just all sorts of interesting things and even just edge technologies um you know with fledge power uh, you know it's it's really really sort of fascinating the number of pieces in there and we're starting to see that kind of getting woven nicely together where there's beginning to be like a full story like my goal for this year by next year is to have this really cool picture of energy is made here energy is consumed here and all of the projects of open source that make that happen because nice. it's it's really fascinating don't hold me to it because i may not get to it <laughs> but it's it is one thing i want to do because i think yeah I think, I think it's fascinating i don't think you just realize how much goes into it because like the the concepts around things like um like smart smart energy grids uh, have been the sort of things that people have been talking about for a, a while now with mm -hmm. um you know more more both more evs um available and also more and more people investing in you know, solar banks and things like that. And then you have this, you know, the concepts that what what if this was all linked up together as one big kind of one big smart sort of ecosystem of power delivery and consumption and, you know, your 
your car could be your your battery backup for your house you know when when things go sideways you could provide burst capacity via your car or your um or your battery bank and you know you've got solar production and all of these things sort of um the one thing that they desperately require to make all of this thing work successfully is actually a bunch of open standards that everyone can can sign up to and agree with because that it's the one thing that that sort of is really holding this sort of whole situation back is that there are too many organizations and too many people like they've got the right idea but they're just trying yeah. to keep it to oh yeah it works great as long as i own everything and like that's that's clearly not the the kind of the ideal here it's to decentralize the the standards and um or decentralize the the ownership of the different components but actually have you know central common standards that everyone can can align to and it's a hard thing to like i, I think i think that is such an interesting point, Dave, because so often people will get hung up in bringing things to open source for sort of exactly that rationale is like, mm. I need to own this to make it move forward. Like that is the mm. only way they sort of look at it in a startup sort of, you know, commercial vendor mentality that, you know, yeah. you know, through rough tough and, you know, throwing a bunch of work into it, we can make it happen. And, and the thing is in our society that has happened, um, I think, there's probably, you know, probably 10 times more stories of people have crashed and burned on that theory versus at work, but we'll let that go yeah. for now. But, <laughs> but I think the bigger thing is that to seeing sort of the larger picture of how, how can you as an organization sort of know what is my, what is the core value that I provide versus what is the commodity piece that is sort of required to get me to something where I provide it, right? Um, and it's a hard thing for sometimes a company and organization to work with. And that's, and that's usually where an open sourcing decision, you know, will come into play. Um, mm. You know, in, in this area here, I think some of the, you know, the open source projects that have come out of RT and Aliander, I think they've quickly realized that, hey, we've built some really cool technologies. Um, OpenSTF, for example, which is around short-term energy forecasting, super useful for them, um, more useful if they can get all the other, um, you know, TSOs out there um, leveraging it as well, because then they can exchange, you know, data back and forth and it becomes more immensely valuable um, for helping do, you know, um, energy forecasting and energy predictions. Um, but there's always sort of that inclining within you is like, but to do this right, I have to be the one to do it. And <laughs> it's, it's a hard thing to sort of separate. I mean, I think all of us, like I've ever started an open source project, we probably felt that way of, we need to be the benevolent dictator because no one can do it as good as we can. And yeah. um, maybe I've just been around too long, uh, maybe whatnot, but I am I am definitely sure somebody can do things better than I can. Um, and if I can help them do it, that makes me happy in that because it's, it's more important for the technology than the person. And I, I think that's one of the connections that often sometimes I think folks tend to struggle with. I'm not trying to say like everyone's like a bunch of like prideful jerks or anything. Um, but, but I do sense that there's often that, like the common, like not invented here syndrome that just mm. kicks in that you sort of have to look at the bigger, longer term picture of what this all looks like. And then you can realize I have a window of opportunity here to be out the forefront of that. And I can yeah. do it by having everyone together at the table. You know, you could make the argument 
Um, that's probably exactly what was sticking in, in Google's head in Kubernetes back in 2014, right? Yep. And we've probably seen so many other technologies look at it the exact same way. We can get ahead of the curve. Um, and that's and and we can define the ecosystem and we can bring all everybody to the table. And that is so much more valuable than me having my personal touch on every last bit of things. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. And that's it for part one of our seven-year anniversary episode as uh, we conclude the first part of our chat with John Mertick for the Linux Foundation. Uh, always interesting, always fun. And uh, stay tuned for part two. Yeah, I think John is now our unofficial third co-host for anniversary episodes. I mean, after seven years, I think we have to make it official. <laughs> I think you're right. I think you're right. Anyway, big thank you to John, and that is all the time we have for today. You can support this podcast, become a patron. Contributions do help us keep this up and running for seven years and running. We're on YouTube, not for seven years, but for multiple years now. You can like, subscribe, hit notification bells, do YouTube stuff. You can go to www.roaringalpha.org. There's links there to Patreon pages, uh, YouTube pages, and other pages, and information about the podcast. And you can follow us on Twitter using the at Roaring Elephant tag. You can still send your feedback by email to podcast at roaringelephant.org. Any feedback, any information, any ideas of new episodes, always welcome. Until next time, when we continue our 14-day-long anniversary party. I love that. <laughs> my name is John. <laughs> and my name is All About the Foundation, Dave. I look forward to talking to you again next week. Bye-bye. See you then. <laughs>